The Old Testament reading for this morning takes us to the book of Deuteronomy, where literally uh, the name of the book is uh, Second Law. It's the retelling, the story of the retelling of the law that was given to Moses and how it plays out in the life of the Israelites. Our reading from the 30th chapter begins at verse 15 and continues through verse 20. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is again from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this morning in the third chapter, beginning verse 5 and continuing through verse 13. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labors of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. On Wednesday of this past week, 
We were enjoying a brunch that is shared with men who don't have a spouse to look after them. Every other week, a meal is served and fellowship is had with the widowed, divorced, single. Near the conclusion of our time together, a vehicle pulled into the parking lot, and now it's not unusual for folks to tend to the gravestones, so I didn't pay a great deal of attention to it. But after several minutes, the door to the fellowship hall swung open, and a woman popped her head in, and she began by apologizing for the interruption and asked if we had a moment. She said she was a history buff who'd driven down from Whaleyville and was looking for the grave of Mary Hampton, whom she believed was buried in our cemetery. We were able to direct her to the site right here at the corner and to share some other information with her as well as to give her a tour of this sanctuary. And while she was impressed with the building and with its fixtures, I was impressed with the fact that she wanted to know what our service schedule was so that she could make plans to return with her husband some Sunday morning and worship with us. As she marveled at the fact that the walls of this structure were were placed 317 years ago, I marveled at the fact that the process of building a church was meant to, and still does, go on indefinitely. And that's just the sort of thing that I think the Apostle Paul was writing about here in this excerpt from his first letter to the Corinthians. He begins with a rhetorical question about identity. I find it interesting that he asks, what is Apollos and what is Paul, rather than what might be more grammatically correct? Who is Apollos and who is Paul? From the context, we can deduce that Apollos was an evangelist who came to Corinth sometime after Paul had first visited the city and who built on the foundations of Paul's teachings in that place. Well, Paul is quick to point out, however, that whatever results may have been achieved by their work together there in the city, it was not their doing, but that of God, which yields any fruit for the kingdom. He concludes with the astute observation that we are God's servants working together. So what is it that we're working on? I think the project we're engaged in, even to this day as disciples of Jesus, is the building of his church. Many a fine edifice has been constructed to the glory of God to serve as a site for the continued practice of divine worship. I have been afforded the opportunity to visit some of these structures which date back over a thousand years, and many of you here also have had a similar opportunity, and they are indeed wonders of human engineering. Our own beloved sanctuary in which we worship this day holds the important and unique distinction of being the first house of worship 
built for the purpose of worship by Presbyterians in all of what would become the United States of America. We are indeed blessed to be part of a congregation that maintains the rights of divine worship in such a wonderful building as this. But it is vitally important that we never lose sight of the fact that the church, with the capital C, is not a building. The church is the living, breathing body of Christ on earth, and we are all individually members thereof. This is what Apollos and Paul and the other apostles of that day were dedicated to build upon the strong foundation, the chief cornerstone, that which the builders of this world had despised and rejected, who is Christ the Lord. It is also that to which we are now a part of and are called to continue to help construct. You are God's building, proclaims Paul, and in a bit of a mixed metaphor that we can well appreciate about around these parts, you are God's field. You and I, each one of us, has been fashioned by God and claimed as his own. Those baptized in Christ are living temples for the Holy Spirit. The presence of God which came to earth in Jesus, continues to abide with us through his spirit. We have been fashioned, formed, built from the dust of the earth to serve God as co-laborers in a magnificent project, the establishment and expansion of his church here on earth. All of us have contributions to make to this cause, and the quality and the quantity of these contributions does not, Paul assures us, go unnoticed by the king of the universe. I've been thinking about things like this for a while now. You may recall that on Reformation Sunday in October of 2019, I stood here and invited us to enter a season of prayer and discernment, seeking God's will for the next season of life in and through this congregation. And then, right on cue, came the global pandemic, which certainly shook us out of whatever routines we had fallen into. Well, the worst of it seems behind us here at Rehoboth, though that could change at any given moment, but partly as a result of the disruptions brought about as as response to the virus, I've been thinking about definitions of church and what it means to live into these definitions. And one of the things that seems to be in pretty clear focus is that church, this one or, or any other for that matter, is not so much a place but a collection of people. As one reads through the stories of Jesus' life and ministry in all the gospel accounts, one can't help but observe the way that he was moving and gathering. He was almost constantly in motion, on the go, traveling from one place to the next to the next, never putting down roots. And as he went, he gathered. People came to see him, to hear him, to be fed by him, to be healed 
by him. He gathered disciples to travel with him, and he gathered crowds to preach to as he shared the good news of the kingdom of God come near. Yes, he was pretty much always on the go. Though he had apprenticed and worked as a carpenter, as a religious teacher, he didn't stop to set up shop. While it's true that on the Sabbath, he could sometimes be found in a synagogue, he was never what you might call a rabbi in residence. So I find myself reminded if Jesus was able to build a thriving church without benefit of a building, what about we who have a building? Can we also build a church? And we need no look, we need to look no further than our own beloved Saint McKemmy to see proof that yes, indeed, one can. Even after overseeing the construction of these hallowed grounds in 1706, he was then off to preach in the colonies of New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts. And though he was stopped short of reaching Boston, he nevertheless preached to those colonists all along the way who were thirsty for a word from God, just as had been his custom in the quarter century of his ministry before this building was completed. From Barbados to the Carolina coast, here to the shore and up north. I believe that as much as many things have changed in the intervening centuries, others have not. I believe that there are still many, many people in the 13 original colonies and throughout this country who are thirsty for a word from God. Our mission is to reach them. But where, oh, where are they? Well, let me start by confessing a deep, dark secret to you. They're not just in church buildings. Many, I would dare say, most of them are unlikely to set foot in a church building. So if not here, where? Well, practically everywhere else. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So if our Savior knew where to look for the needy, perhaps that's where we should be looking to build the church, out there. And the truth of the matter is that we are out there all the time, whether it's on account of work or dining out or shopping or running other errands, we're out there all the time. And as long as we're out there, how about we capitalize on our interactions with all those folks who have been put in our path? And we might even consider being intentional in our efforts to build a church much as Steve Adkins has been doing in and around Salisbury with his prayer walks and his laundromat ministries, there's nothing to stop us from being out there specifically for the purpose of building a church. It may be that our efforts will not result in a single person 
paying us a visit for worship. But when we're church building, while it might be a byproduct, that's not necessarily the point anyway. Only God gives the growth, as Paul writes. Our call is to share the good news of Jesus, following in the footsteps and building on the foundation of those who have gone before us, likewise as good and faithful servants. Should we choose to accept this invitation, how we do this will look different for each of us. I know that I've been feeling a renewed sense of urgency to this work recently. I've also sensed a a different approach to the way I pursue my work of building a church might be required. Tomorrow night, the session will gather for our February meeting, and I hope we will spend a little bit of time, at least as a body, discussing just this sort of holy work. As we journey on together, I look forward to hearing your stories of building a church as a fellowship community that continues to live out the Great Commission that Jesus left us with so long ago, to cultivate the ground, to plant a field, to water the crops, to prepare the way for the creator and owner of the land to give the growth and to reap a rich harvest. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.